Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to the Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Over the past month, a fence around the 24th Street Mission Bart Plaza has caused a lot of ruckus. Some believe it was a temporary and necessary fix to stop illegal vending and improve safety. Others were not buying that. They said it made things less safe for vendors by pushing them out, calling it a war on the poor. And over the weekend, protesters tore the fence down. There's all these different issues here, but the fence didn't help anything. If anything, it just created more of a problem and brought more attention here. Today, the battle over street vending at the 24th Street BART Plaza. The plaza is sort of like this Bay Area crossroads. Azul Dostrom Ekman is a reporter and editor for KQED. It's very dynamic, it's very vibrant, there's all sorts of action. When you're getting off the 24th Street BART station, you can smell like the carne asada like wafting down from the taquerias. And on weekends you can hear ministers preaching in Spanish and the plaza is, is this place where people can hang out, people can talk, people, people can relax. There's just a lot of people, like, coming and going. When the fences went up around the BART Plaza, it was crazy. I mean, I didn't even think that that was possible. I've been interested in covering street vendors for a long time, but once I saw that, I knew that this was um, a moment in, the, like, the history of the mission that was significant. Over the past few months, what has the vibe of 24th Street Plaza been like? What is this sort of shift that you started to see? Anyone who's traveled in the mission for, you know, more than the last six months would say that the vibe changed. The biggest thing was that there was a lot more people hanging out there. And it appeared that there was a lot more people selling things, and a lot of the things that they were selling appeared to be your everyday items that you would see at CVS. You know, we're talking like toothpaste, shampoo, laundry detergent, uh, cell phone chargers, that sort of thing. There was just a lot more vendors there. There's a lot more people selling things. There were a lot more people just sort of hanging out. And it felt a little more crowded. The energy felt a little more hectic for that reason. People I've talked to have in the mission have said, you know, 16th Street used to be sort of like the station that was more, had that kind of energy more. And the 24th Street station was the quote unquote like family station, Mm. whereas it felt more chill Mm. and it didn't feel as chill anymore. 
let's go back to the fence and sort of why it's there in the first place. How did this fence get put up and why is it there? Yeah, so the fence was actually a last resort measure, according to Hillary Ronan. She's the District 9 supervisor that includes the Mission District of San Francisco. And she basically said, we didn't want to put up this fence, but we felt like we had to because things had gotten so bad. They were getting so many complaints and allegations of, you know, overcrowding and a dangerous atmosphere and and the sale of illegal goods, the sale of drugs, drug use, that sort of thing. This is a really tough decision. Um, It just, the situation seemed to be getting out of hand. Santiago Lerma, he's a legislative aide for Hillary Ronan. What he said was that around the time uh, Mayor London Breed declared a state of emergency in the Tenderloin, late last year, they started to see an influx of people at the BART station, 24th and Mission. We were getting a lot of calls and concerns from longstanding Mission residents, uh, the Latino community, the small business owners around the BART station. Uh, A lot of them had been uh, losing business because people were selling the same goods at 50% of the price right in front, but don't have to pay rent or taxes. He said that the increased police presence there, you know, they were essentially cracking down on vending at UN Plaza, which is near Civic Center in San Francisco, forced people to find somewhere else. And Mm. they went to the 24th Street Mission Station. We felt like we really needed to uh, step up for the neighborhood and and for the the small businesses. We're just seeing kind of a lot of what was in the Tenderloin uh, spill over into the mission. Supervisor Ronan's office says the fence was a last resort because the city was taking too long to implement a new street vending law that's supposed to crack down on the sale of stolen goods. That was passed back in March. But by mid-July, the law still hadn't gone into effect. So Ronan asked Bart to put up a fence around the plaza. It was meant to be up for 60 days, and it had an immediate effect on how the space looked and felt. The plaza before the fence was already feeling a little hectic and a little crowded. And then this fence goes up and it just pushes everything literally onto the sidewalk. If you're a pedestrian trying to get through there, you're walking this corridor with, you know, on one hand you have tables full of, you know, deodorant and toothpaste and all these wares. And on the other hand, there's might be a longtime flower vendor Mm. sitting there or maybe, you know, someone selling tamales. And there's people stopping to buy things. There's the people getting on and off the bus. So it's turned it into this very, very crowded place. How have folks felt about the fence? Tell me a little bit about some of the the folks you talked with, starting with maybe some pro-fence people. Yeah, so I talked to this man named Garcia. We're just using his last name because he feared for his safety. Basically, what he said is that with the fence, it's easier for him to vend. He vends full time. Um, a common theme I talked to with a lot of the vendors is that they started vending during the pandemic. And Garcia mm-hmm. is like that as well. So he told me he was a janitor at uh, 24-Hour Fitness before the pandemic. He actually suffered a stroke 
and now he vends full-time in order to make his rent and send money home to Guatemala. He likes the fence being there because there's not uh, people there that harassed him previously. He told me a story about a dolly that he used to transport his stuff uh, from his apartment to to the plaza being stolen. Um, so he was in favor of the fence. What are some of the other reasons folks have been down with the fence? Susana Rojas, she's the executive director of Calle 24. They're a nonprofit organization that works in the Mission District. She said that the fence is not perfect and that she didn't want it, but she said that they felt like they had no other choice. Like I said, it was not something that anybody thought it was the greatest idea and we all wanted. It was more about a lot of people were asking for, for a solution and something that, that was visible and that they can see that something was happening. And um, They so started getting reports from the community of people being uh, touched inappropriately or, or assaulted and that that was the last straw. Susana said that it was less about the vendors and more about safety. And um, so once the fence came up, it gave us the opportunity to start negotiations with BART. It gave us uh, an opportunity to start thinking how BART Plaza can look different and be more of a community space. Okay, so those are the folks who are in favor of the fence who say that it helps reduce harassment and also improve safety at, at the station. What about people who are against the fence? It's been like a huge class uh, struggle more than anything, this whole fence. Yeah, so Joshua Baltadano co-runs the Instagram page Mission Defense. There are several complaints that people, himself included, have, but the main one is that um, this isn't addressing the root problems of why people are out here vending. There's it's, it's more desperate times financially more than ever. I mean, people aren't just selling here. They're selling at Civic Center. They're selling downtown. And because People are still hurting from the pandemic. All these things contribute to choices to going out there and, and selling whatever they need to in order to survive. And if those goods happen to be stolen, well, we shouldn't judge those people for selling stolen goods. It's just they're doing what they need to to survive. I honestly feel like they really need to be working with folks. Um, they should even, you know, have a flyer, you know, have a workshop about like how you can get yourself established, you know, like actually providing, you know, more resources and not just, you know, be like, oh, you know, just don't sell your your soul and stuff. Obviously, if people to the extent that the fence, the fence was warranted in response to that. I think that's where Joshua draws the line. I mean, what does Joshua have to say about the idea that the plaza has gotten unsafe? Anyone who's been to the plaza acknowledges that it's changed. One thing that Joshua said was that these complaints from the constituents, he's, he's suspicious that these complaints are coming from people that have the time and the energy to actually complain, and that it's kind of part of the shifting demographic of the mission. And because of the pandemic, now we have more folks in desperate straits, so they may not have a table, so they're having their stuff on the floor, and that's now not as appealing to folks out here, is what I'm, you know, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, you know, in the comments online and posts over the past couple of years, obviously, and that's been kind of a frustrating thing that's more like of a class issue. 
And then there's things But to the extent that, you know, people are out here selling stolen goods, he makes the point that, you know, a lot of these people aren't selling stolen goods. They're selling things that are donated to them. They're selling things that they find. They're selling things that they buy fairly. And so this idea that, you know, everyone is out here selling stolen goods, I think he would say that that is blown out of proportion. People are poor and they're selling stuff, but just because they're selling stuff and they're poor does not mean they are using drugs. And I'm seeing people out there that are just desperate and trying to make an extra buck. I also talked to vendors who said when the fence was up, there wasn't any room for them to sell and they were literally pushed out. They couldn't sell at the plaza anymore. And it's where they prefer to sell because it's a high traffic area. I also imagine that this fence blocks the community from gathering there. Did anyone say anything about that? I spoke with Demetra Block at the plaza, and she said that this place is important for her not only to sell goods, but to buy goods. I can't afford no $20, $20 laundry detergent at, uh, at the stores, $26 and $20, but I can come here and get it for 10 or 15 bucks. you know what I'm saying, the big ones. She also said that she comes here to sell and that it's it's an amazing thing to have a place in a city where people can just bring things to, to the sell. They're trying to stop the uh, drugs. Well, this is perfect. You see how many people here? We're not using drugs. We're not selling drugs. We're communicating, having a wonderful time, selling food, selling clothes that we can afford, and, having, and being a family amongst each other. No fighting, no arguing. I haven't seen one yet. Everybody's laughing. She's also saying that this is an important place for people that are trying to lift themselves out of poverty. She's saying, you know, people aren't selling drugs here. You know, they're not fighting. They're trying to feed their families and they're trying to do it in a way that, you know, is is better than if, you know, they're they're selling drugs. They want violence and everything to stop. How are you going to stop it? It's going to get worse before it get better. This is the this is better before it get worse. Just let it let it be. Let let us have this. It's not going to kill them. It's, it's a, it's a... I mean, I think that the pandemic is still like very much real and affecting people, especially in the mission, especially in the tenderloin. Mm-hmm. We know that like COVID has like affected these communities particularly hard, and that's still affecting them today. And so mm-hmm. um, it's very real. Susana Rojas said, you know, like the level of, of human suffering that we're seeing on the streets right now is intense. Mm-hmm. Nearly every vendor I spoke to said that the reason they started vending was because of the pandemic, that they were employed before the pandemic and they lost their job. Coming up, what's changing in San Francisco under the new street vending law? And what's next for the 24th Street Mission BART Plaza? Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. 
You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Okay, so this whole fence thing Azul was about curbing the sale of stolen goods, making the area safer. And I know that there are some changes on the horizon around how street vending works in San Francisco. What is about to change? Right. So uh, the Department of Public Works says that this new vendor law is set to go into effect the week of September 12th. It's not going to affect like food vendors or like art vendors, like people that are already sort of um, regulated by existing permit laws. But this is sort of a blanket permit law for like anyone selling anything on the street. You know, you'll have to apply for a business license. You'll have to pay a fee. You'll have to submit, you know, certain forms of identification. You're going to have to say what sorts of things you plan on selling, where you plan on selling. So it's really an attempt to sort of pin down people and and get an idea of, you know, what they're doing. It says in the actual text of the law that this law is intended to curb the sale of stolen goods on city streets. So this is very much has been on the mind of, of San Francisco politicians. If you're selling something on the street um, and it looks like it's new, you're going to have to provide proof of purchase. If you can't prove that you purchased it, um, the goods can be confiscated. If you are found to be selling without a permit, there's a fee schedule. So for the first time, it's $200. The second time, it's $500. And $1,000 for each additional violation within a year. So these are pretty hefty fines. Um, Hillary Ronan has been really clear that this is like a decriminalized law. People are not going to go to jail for uh, violating this law, but there are some fines. And how much is it going to cost vendors to apply for one of these permits? The permit will cost $430 for the first year. Um, if people do receive certain government benefits or live in a, like a low-income household, there are some uh, ways that they don't have to pay as much. And then there's also ways that they can get their permit fee reduced. Hmm. But um, the fee is $430 for the first year. They know we can't pay that. that it's insanity. I talked to Demetra Block. She said, you know, I don't have $4.30. Like, there's no way I can pay $430. And that's, Hmm. that's a common complaint with, you know, organizers in the mission who are against the fence and against this new law saying that, you know, it's enabling, you know, well-established vendors and organized vendors who, who have this money to be able to continue vending. And then the people with the least amount of resources are not going to be able to pay for this, you know, new permit. So as you mentioned, this law goes into effect next month. What do we know about how folks are preparing to see this new law roll out. How is it going so far? Do we know? Yeah, so I followed Susana Rojas from Calle 24 out in the mission. Um, She was doing outreach. So she was saying, you know, um, she had a handout and she said, you know, this is what you need in order to comply with this law. 
if you have any questions, I'll be back tomorrow and, you know, you can talk to me about them. Calle 24 is also helping people, some people out with the fees, you know, if they can't pay. Um, they don't have a ton of money and a ton of resources, but they're saying, you know, they, they do what they can. Because that's the only way, you know, community helps community and that's what we're trying to do. Unfortunately, the circumstances that we're living are, are pinning us against a wall that pins two vulnerable communities against each other and we should have a better plan to be able to help both communities. I would certainly expect that it's not going to be 100% compliance um, during the first uh, the first go-round. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of confusion um, because, um, hmm. you know, this goes back to 2018 when Governor Jerry Brown uh, implemented the Safe Sidewalk Vending Act, which decriminalized street vending in California. Um, so that did away with the prior permit system, which was called a peddler's license in San Francisco. So some people are still confused. You know, they say, I, I have a permit or I've gotten a permit before. And, you know, mm. why do I need this new permit? Okay, Azul, so lots happening at 24th Street BART. There's this fence, there's this new vending law. And then over the weekend, this story took another turn when activists took down the fence at the BART Plaza. As of this taping, the fence is still not up, right? What happened? So I was sitting at my desk at KQED and I, <laughs> I looked at Instagram and I saw that the fence was down. I went down there and I thought, oh, you know, probably this has happened once before. Um, people took down the fence in the middle of the night and it was put back up again. When I went down there this time, I got there about Saturday, uh, about 4 o'clock, and there was a lowrider parade going on. <laughs> it was a warm, sunny day in the mission, and the plaza was packed. Honestly, like as a San Francisco resident, I felt a little happy to see the plaza open again because it, that fence was very jarring. I mean, it was an intense... Um, take back of public space. Um, there were some mutual aid groups. There was uh, Gay Shame was there. Food Not Bombs was there. Mission Defense was there. And um, I spoke with some people there and they said, you know, we took down the fence. And, and what their really, their message was to the community was that, you know, you know, we have power and we're here to support the vendors and to support the community and say that, you know, when you do things in this community, you know, you, you have to include the community. We're reclaiming our community space and we're doing it community-led. Um, everything. So I met up with right Joshua Baltadano out there from Mission Defense again on Saturday and when the fences were down and he said, you know, we're out here in support of the people that took down the fences. We're here to support the community and to support the vendors and give them a place to sell their stuff. I mean, we support it, obviously. I wasn't here for it. I came at 6 a.m. Um, I mean... There's all these different issues here, but the fence didn't help anything. If anything, it just created more of an, a problem and brought more attention here. And now we have room to actually have some legitimate vendors actually out here selling their goods and services and, and actually trying to make a living. Um, and we're, we're here to support that. Is Bart or anyone going to try and put it back up? Do we know? I emailed Hillary Ronan's office. I haven't heard back yet. Um, hmm. Bart did say to me that in an email that they do not intend to put back up the fence. For now, they're still down. So, I mean, what's next, Azul? What, what is the future of the 24th Street Bar Plaza? Both sides are happening. You know, you have Susana Rojas 
uh, with Calle 24, you have, you know, Mission Defense, and they're both saying that they're hoping that this future of the plaza, after this sort of ugly period with the fence, is going to be determined by community input. There was a town hall that happened. I think that's really the, the key here, is that we've learned that, you know, the community wants to be involved in these decision-making processes. Yeah. So what is this story really about, you think? I think that the story is really about the sort of moment that we're in in San Francisco. You know, we've seen this sort of um, return of like tough on crime policing with obviously, you know, the perception that San Francisco was becoming a lawless place right. was very prominent in the recall of Chesa Boudin. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing this sort of it's it's very emblematic of this moment where certain parts of of San Francisco are saying, you know, if you let illegal vending happen of these stolen goods, then it's it's sort of like this broken windows thing, like more, you know, uh, crimes are going to happen in the law itself. It says that unregulated vending at UN Plaza fuels unlawful activity that leads to a high volume of 911 calls. So there's generally this perception that if you let some crime happen, more crime will happen. I feel like what we've been talking about is uh, a core issue here, which is that people are just struggling. It sounds like this fence and what it represents is sort of this temporary fix to a sort of bigger issue that we're seeing in San Francisco, especially in this economy. Yeah, well, the fence was definitely a temporary fix. And this new law, I mean, the main gripe about it is that it's not going after the root issues. So it's really a question of like where we're putting our attention and our resources and our uh, money to, and, and where are we going to get the most you know, bang for our buck in terms of actually resolving these issues? And as Hillary Ronan said, you know, they did it because they didn't feel like they had a choice. You know, things, I think, move slowly in the city. We're seeing that in the implementation of this new vendor law. Just calls into question, you know, how we're responding to these crises. There's there's pressure coming down on on these sorts of informalized economies that lower income people rely on to to survive, and it's really falling to community groups to make sure that these people don't fall through the cracks. Azul, thank you so much. Thanks. That was Azul Dahlstrom Ekman, a reporter and editor for KQED. This 50-minute conversation with Azul was cut and edited by Alan Monticilio. I scored this one and added all the tape. Maria Eskinka is our producer. If you like this episode, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are listening. It really helps other people to find our show which you can find on Twitter at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because... 
This is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.